Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We're both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're on the podcast to try and help break down some of the interesting and challenging issues that are before employers with respect to their group health plans, and particularly with respect to compliance for the group health plan. Today, Suzanne, we are going to dive into hospital prices. And why are we doing that? Well, because it's a significant portion of any group health plan's costs, and there is renewed scrutiny on hospital price on hospital prices as uh, stakeholders look for ways to improve the affordability of healthcare. So Suzanne, with that, can you provide a little bit of background as to what we are going to discuss with respect to hospital pricing today? Yeah, and first of all, just to level set, hospital services account for 37% of total personal healthcare spending in 2019. And the hospital price increases are drivers of growth in our per capita spending when you look at the privately insured, which of course is what we're speaking to predominantly. Um, policymakers want to impact that, right? And so they've looked at various ways to, to try to reduce hospital prices from regulating prices directly to trying to increase competitiveness. Now, we've seen um, really a focus on the latter most recently with um, some of the transparency regulations that we've seen. And for employers, that's important because they really, the lack of transparency of prices really limits their ability to impact plan designs. When you look at the new federal transparency regulations, they are beginning to shed some light on prices, including negotiated rates. Um, the new price transparency rules for hospitals took effect in 2021. And then, of course, they're going to take place or be in effect for health plans in July of this year. So the real driver behind this discussion today was a, a RAND report. Um, and RAND, the RAND study was based on data from more than about 4,000 hospitals in 49 states and Washington, D.C., spanning 2018 to 2020. Now, interestingly, they left Maryland out um, because they already have a system in place whereby the privately insured and Medicare recipients pay the same price. And so um, they were not included in this analysis, but they included facilities and professional claims for inpatient and outpatient services provided by Medicare certified facilities, short stay hospitals and, and other kinds of facilities. And for the first time, they included ambulatory surgical centers. So there's some interesting data from that. Um, they analyzed healthcare claims that were attain obtained from self-insured employers, from 11 state all-payer claims databases, and from health insurance, just private insurance plans, fully insured insurance plans. It was all on a, on a uh, voluntary basis. And so there's been some criticism that the data wasn't extensive enough. Um, because again, they only took those that chose to participate in this study. But for each private claim, they repriced the service using Medicare's grouping and pricing formula. And then each claim was benchmarked to what Medicare would have paid. Okay. Well, I mean, it still sounds like a fairly comprehensive test uh, or, or survey and, um, you know, includes most of the states across the country and recent information. So still seems like it's pretty helpful um, what what are the main takeaways from the study that you found? Well, in going back to something I had said earlier, in 
2019, I spoke to total personal health care spending in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, it also showed that spending on hospital care in the U.S. totaled about $1.2 trillion, and that accounted for 32% of all health care expenditures, which is more than 5% of GDP. So we're not talking about wow. small change. Um, and the prices paid by the commercial health plans was a significant factor that was underlying just the overall high cost of health care in general. So that's something mm-hmm. that's really a lever that we want to see if we can adjust and, and uh, certainly to bring down overall health care costs generally. And we've seen those prices increase substantially over time. And then there's the gap between what commercial insurers pay, private insurers, of course, self-funded plans, and what Mer- Medicare pays and other public programs has mm-hmm. really increased significantly. So the study found that employees Employers and private insurers on average paid 224% of Medicare prices for hospital services. This was in the, in, in particular, this was in 2020. So prices for common outpatient services that were performed in ambulatory surgical centers averaged 162% of Medicare payments. So that's interesting. There's definitely a, a difference there. They looked at five procedures that were commonly performed in both an ambulatory surgery center and a hospital outpatient department. And the average hospital outpatient department's price was 6,300, actually 6,304. The average ambulatory surgery center price was 2,404. So for the same Mm. set of services, the prices were really varied significantly based on the type of facility that was performing the service. Wow, it's very interesting. Um, the differences there. Um, what about consistency ac- across the states? You mentioned this is 49 states taking out Maryland plus DC. Um, did the study find that prices were fairly consist- consistent among the states? Yet, yeah, no, not at all. There were significant disparities among the states. So the prices ranged from under 175% of Medicare, and that was in Hawaii, Arkansas, and Washington. Uh, to more than 300% of Medicare. And that was in Florida, West Virginia, and South Carolina. So a wide disparity just in general, when they looked just at COVID hospitalizations, the uh, private insurers were paying an average of 241% more than Medicare. So again, you were assuming that the services being provided were similar. Um, and then if you drill down further on some of the price changes, like when we looked at, at whether there were price increases or price decreases, Um, The study found that California had the largest number of hospital markets that had large price increases. So they looked at the top 19 regions and California had 11 of those top 19 regions. And then including eight were in Northern California. Wisconsin had three of the regions with the largest increases. And then if you look at the largest decreases, that was uh, really more geographically diverse, and that, except for the fact that there were four in Indiana, four out of the top 19 in Indiana with the largest decreases. So this led the author of the study, his name is Zachary Levinson, and he's an associate economist at uh, RAND. He took the view that this large variation in trends across different regions suggests that there could be opportunities to, co- to constrain growth in hospital prices. So you're looking at the same mm-hmm. service being provided, this large variance. There should be able, we should be able to um, compress those prices and affect hospital pricing. Interesting conclusions there from the study. Suzanne, what is, what is this bringing it back for employers? What, what does this all mean for group health plans? 
Yeah, well, we'll dig into that a bit as we go throughout the podcast. But I want to start with the understanding that, you know, employers right now are generally on edge with respect to their health plans because we've seen inflation all around us. And and this will obviously become a bigger issue if, if inflation creeps into health care prices. Uh, in April, medical services rose by 3.5% compared to 8.3% in overall consumer price index. And so obviously, medical services are trailing behind uh, the consumer price index. Um, but if we start to see that change, of course, that's really going to make an impact on our group health plans. Uh, currently, around 160 million Americans receive health care coverage for the, through their employer or union. And if this plan is self-funded, the employer typically relies on the insurance carrier or the TPA to negotiate prices. So they really have very little insight into the prices that are negotiated on their behalf with hospitals. So if you can go back to this RAND study and, and how could that be helpful for employers? Well, the study reports prices and it identifies the hospital and goes even further to identify groups of hospitals under joint ownership, so hospital systems by name. Uh, so employers can certainly look at this and use this report to become better informed purchasers, of course, of, of their health care. Yes. Just thinking about this, was there was there anything that identified the cause of the variance in pricing? Well, there was some in the RAND. There's also been other, you know, reports like by the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. Um, so some of what you would expect would be attributable to the just the market power of hospitals in a, in a certain region. Um, and then the CBO looked recently um, incorporating some of the previous data from RAND and found that higher prices in certain areas of the country could partially be explained by differences in the prices of inputs needed to deliver those services. So this that actually lends me to think that the general inflation may bleed into healthcare inflation um, sooner yeah. rather than later as the cost of goods increases and the lack of availability of certain ser services and items, certainly. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so there is some, you know, there is some differences of prices and input. So it could be provider costs as well that are in increasing the hospital output. Yeah, it does feel a little bit inevitable, right? That nothing is really safe from this inflation. Um, were there any comments from the various stakeholder groups like the hospitals or the insurance companies, you know, relating to this study at all? Yes, and and of course they're going to differ depending on the stakeholder. So when you look at the hospital yeah. industry, like like the American Hospital Association, they took issue with the Rand study and said that the data was really too small. It was only about two point two percent of hospital spending, and they said you really can't take from such a small sample size um, any you you can't surmise anything of great value that you really need to add in more data to make it interesting. He he also noted that even if the methodology was assumed to be sound. Medicare does not fully cover the cost of providing care to Medicare beneficiaries. And so if we try to align commercial prices with this inadequate Medicare rates, you would certainly see financial strain on hospitals that are already facing tremendous challenges as, mm -hmm. as, as a result of COVID and then just rising inflation in general. So his concern, obviously, was that this would lead to hospitals trying to decrease their rates closer to what the Medicare pricing was. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, of course, we have the insurers. Uh, AHIP just spoke up and re recently told congressional leaders and the White House that they have a new policy roadmap, and they certainly set forth different solutions. And if you look at some of those solutions, for example, it, one was to improve healthcare affordability and access for every American through um, various anti-competitive behavior changes. So, for example, 
by health system who use monopoly power to impose unreasonable contract terms that raise costs for everyone. So they really wanted to look at the at some of the contract terms that hospitals were entering into, and they wanted to improve transparency with respect to private equity entities that uh, owned healthcare organizations. So they really took a shot <laughs> at private equity, and they said that more transparency is needed into how private equity controls have impacted quality and value for patients, consumers, and businesses. So they really were shooting back both at hospitals in terms of kind of their aggressive um, contractual negotiations and then at the private equity owners of hospitals and their their alleged lack of transparency. Yeah. So you can certainly understand the different points of view there and the different interests, obviously, but it is good to hear the different points of view to better understand, you know, what's at stake and, and better understand overall the issue. What about uh, controlling prices through other means beyond just this idea of, of transparency. Well, and, and when I started the discussion, I had mentioned that, you know, some people are looking at price controls. And so um, hospitals negotiating leverage, especially in certain markets, have really led to overall price increases for the commercial insurers and self-funded plans. And this had led to these, this interest in government intervention in cases where the markets have, have substantially failed. So where we have seen these large price price issues. Um, so there was a recent issue brief that came out of the Commonwealth Fund, and it concluded that states should establish caps on out-of-network payments to providers. And this is interesting thought. I really hadn't, hadn't uh, considered this. But if you have high out-of-network rates, that allows a system to continually seek in-network rates um, that are increased over time because insurers don't want to take the chance of paying those high out-of-network rates. And so they're a bit hamstrung in their negotiations. And so they concluded that if you could really put caps on those out-of-network rates, you're also going to impact in-network rates as you give some insurers some more beef, I guess, behind their uh, negotiation power. And so the use of price, price caps on out-of-network hospital services indirectly influences in-network negotiated rates and, and basing those out-of-network caps on a fixed external benchmark like a Medicare fee-for-service price could help constrain those in-network negotiated rates. So that's the idea. It's a bit circular, uh, but it's it's kind of an interesting tie between the, the out-of-network and the in-network negotiation. So if you do it gradually, the report said that states would have the opportunity to monitor monitor any associated impact on patient access, quality of care, and provider financial conditions, which are all those things that they really point to when they talk about concerns of any type of capitated rate. Mm -hmm. um, aside from what we've discussed, what, what are some of the justification, uh, justifications or reasons for increased hospital prices? Well, the RAND study looked at that, as well as the CPO, CBO, excuse me, the Congressional Budget Office has also tried to uncover what are some of the reasons that we've been seeing such an increase in hospital prices. The CBO wrote, it's unclear whether hospitals with higher quality can command higher prices from commercial insurers or whether hospitals with more market power and thus higher prices can spend more to improve their quality. So it's the chicken before the egg. The RAND report noted that very little variation in prices could be explained by a hospital share of patients covered by Medicare or Medicaid, um, which you may assume. They said instead it really was uh, based off of market power. 
Um, and the study also sought to examine the association between price and quality by considering their CMS star rating. And what they found was lower price hospitals were found to have poorer quality than high priced hospitals. But researchers found that the middle category, 150% to 250% of Medicare prices had the highest share of five-star hospitals. So that's interesting. So if you stayed in the middle, you really had better quality than if you went up or went down in terms of uh, the CMS star rating. Interesting. Well, this is all very interesting as we kind of try to understand better the, the pricing and particularly with respect to hospital pricing, uh, but all comes back into play when we're talking about costs for employers with their group health plans and, and understanding that and, and understanding some of these new transparency rules and, and understanding the purpose behind them and how it may help um, with, with, with some of the costs. Um, Suzanne, any concluding thoughts here on this topic? Well, really, in, in looking at some of the conclusions from the RAND study, if you reduce the use of those higher priced hospitals and move patient volume outside of hospitals to the lower priced um, sites of care, that's that's potentially one way that employers can try to reduce their overall health care spend. And also if they take a more active role in bargaining for prices, now that they'll have access to some of the bargained prices of the hospitals, they can monitor the prices that are negotiated on their behalf and just take a more active role. So if you take even those two things into account, you may be able to impact your um, hospital pricing overall. Yeah, great points. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. This is a very interesting and a slightly different topic than we normally attack here on the podcast, but I think everyone appreciates the information and the discussion. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and, and your insights with us. And as we like to say on the podcast. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. 